Beloved, this is a defining moment in our church history. A very special, big milestone for us. And I can't tell you just how full my heart is tonight, or today, excuse me. And uh, to finally just be in this place, to watch your amazing generosity over the last few years to make this possible, to be able to celebrate today what God is doing and has done in our church family, and to be on this journey together with you. All of those things just fill my heart with joy. All of those things are an evidence that God is working in our midst. It's more than we deserve, but God is so good and so gracious and so kind. But what I'd like to do this morning as we dedicate this place is to share some scripture passages with you about the house that God blesses. And these, are, these are on your sermon notes. If you haven't found those already, I invite you to pull out your notes or open up your app and find them there. Because we're going to look at some scenes, some very special scenes in the Bible, primarily from the Old Testament, that remind us how God's people historically celebrate a special day like this. There's four great construction projects that we read about in the Old Testament. There was the tabernacle in the wilderness, Solomon's temple in Jerusalem, the second temple recorded in the book of Ezra, and then the rebuilding of the wall of Jerusalem by Nehemiah. And we can learn so much about how to dedicate a construction project to the Lord from these various examples. So as we explore these passages today, I invite you to look for the answer to the question, what kind of house does God bless? I want to identify three things, three characteristics that I see in these passages today that describe the kind of house God blesses. And the first one is this, it's a house of prayer. God will bless a house of prayer. Let's begin our study this morning looking at 1 Kings chapter 8. It's a very special scene in the history of Israel. God's people, after worshiping in the tabernacle for hundreds of years, that, that temporary move about place of worship for hundreds of years are now standing in front of a brand new magnificent temple in Jerusalem. They've gathered before the Lord to seek his blessing and to ask him to pour out his presence on that house. And what's chronicled in 1 Kings 8 is a record of Solomon's prayer that day at that dedication service. As he prays, he calls on the Lord to hear their prayers and to bless the people who have gathered and when he finishes praying, the Lord answers by sending fire from heaven to consume the burnt offering and to fill the temple with his glory. In fact, there's so much glory of God that enveloped the temple that day that the priests weren't even able to enter in and begin their ministry. Quite a scene. Well, that's the context. I want to read two verses out of chapter 8 for you. These are verses 22 and 23. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we lift our voices today in unison with Solomon so many years ago to declare what an amazing God you are. You are faithful and loving. You are holy 
and worthy of our praises and worthy of our very lives. And we worship you today. In the name of Christ, we declare these things. Amen. So again, where did this prayer take place that we're reading? Notice the word altar in verse 22. In front of the temple itself, just below the stairs leading up into the holy place, was a bronze altar where sacrifices were offered. So this was a great outdoor celebration. And on this particular day, thousands and thousands of oxen and sheep were sacrificed as an offering of dedication to God. By the way, all of those sacrifices pointed, they pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told us when he came to earth that he is the Lamb of God, the perfect and holy sacrifice for our sin. And so even on that day, a thousand years before Christ died for our sin, those sacrifices anticipated a coming day that Jesus would die as our sacrifice. But back to Solomon's prayer now. Listen, as we assemble here today, we do, so, do essentially the same thing Israel did back then. We've gathered together to seek the Lord's face and to ask him to pour out his spirit upon this house. And this is a house of prayer. Isaiah 56 reminds us that his house is a house of prayer. Jesus picked up on that and reaffirmed that same truth when he was on earth. It's recorded in our New Testament. And friends, of all the business conducted at the church house... None comes close in importance to this one. God's house must ever be known as a house of prayer. And his people as a people of prayer. Because God honors a praying people. And because a praying people honors God. Well, what did Solomon pray about that day? I'd invite you in your reading this week to read 1 Kings 8. We don't have much time to read through it today, but essentially what God prayed is that, or what Solomon prayed to God is that God would forgive people when they turn to him. That's the main thrust of his prayer. For example, verse 30, hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. So Solomon didn't ask God for things. He asked for that which is most important. For the forgiveness of sin and for a right relationship with God. Solomon also asked the Lord to hear the prayers of people who come to God in repentance. And as you read through 1 Kings 8, you'll see all different varieties of people mentioned there. The Israelites, and warriors, and foreigners, and sinners, all are included in this prayer. And Solomon asked the Lord to hear the prayers of people who come to God in humble repentance. And friends, that includes every single one of us. Because we all blow it and make mistakes. We all have rebellious hearts toward God at times. And that means we all need the forgiveness of God. We need to come before him in repentance for the forgiveness of our sins. 
It's one of the reasons why I love the promise of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's promise to forgive us and cleanse us when we repent is one of the absolute best promises in all of God's word. It's one of the great reasons that we exist as a church. We are a place where people can come and seek God and unburden their hearts in repentance. Beloved by God's grace, we have access to him in spite of our sin and failure. And that is so amazing. I'm very aware of my own sins and shortcomings. And I'm reminded today that this beautiful facility is a testament of God's grace and God's forgiveness of us. It's not about how good we are. It's about how great and how gracious and how faithful God is in spite of who we are. In spite of who we are. Now, in my opinion, the most important thing to see here in this prayer is what it tells us about God himself. I want you to notice two attributes of God that Solomon highlights in his prayer. And the first is God's faithfulness. Notice the words in verse 23, keeping covenant. And that refers to the promises that God made to Israel in the Old Testament. The law of Moses was a covenant between God and his people. It was an agreement. It was a promise to do certain things for them. And God would later make a similar promise or covenant to King David, what we know as the Davidic covenant, where he promised David he would always have a descendant sitting on the throne of Israel. And Solomon was living proof that God kept that promise. So throughout Solomon's prayer, God's faithfulness is front and center. For example, verse 15, he prayed, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who with his hand has fulfilled what he promised. In verse 20, Solomon prayed, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his own hand has fulfilled what he promised. Beloved, God keeps his promises. And so imagine again this sight in Jerusalem that day. Solomon standing before the altar of the Lord in front of the temple... And at such a special moment, dedicating that magnificent temple to God, Solomon could have recounted all of the hard work they had put in. You see, for seven years, they had labored diligently to build the temple. It was a great achievement. It was a special moment. Solomon could have taken much credit for that, but the only thing he was seeing that day was the faithfulness of God. He didn't assume it was because of his ability or his planning or his wise leadership, but he said, this is something that God did. He sees the faithfulness of God in all of this and he's giving thanks. May we see the same today and acknowledge the goodness and faithfulness of God in our lives. It's not about who we are, but who God is. Here's the second thing I see in this prayer. It's the steadfast love of God. God's steadfast love. Verse 23 again, it says, There is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants. God loves us with a loyal love. 
This is the famous Hebrew word kesed, which is a very difficult word to translate because there's not a single English word that really covers its meaning. So translators use words like loving kindness or kindness or mercy, but perhaps loyal love comes closest. It describes the loyal love God has toward us, his people. You see, kesed is not just something somebody feels, it's something that somebody chooses to do for somebody. God loves us so much that he's moved to help us out of love and mercy. His love is active toward us. And here's why that's so important. We are all sinners, but we can come to God with a bold confidence, knowing he wants to forgive us knowing he desires an intimate relationship with us, and knowing that he has done everything required to make that possible. He sent Jesus to the cross to pay for our sin. So what kind of house does God bless? First, he blesses a house of prayer. And second, he blesses a house of praise. It's a house of praise. When the people assembled to dedicate both of the temples and to dedicate the wall of Jerusalem, they praised and worshipped God with this great and massive celebration. And I believe there's a lesson here for us as well. While God's house is to be a house of prayer, it is also to be a place of great praise. God loves when his people praise him and celebrate who he is. In fact, in Hebrews, we're commanded to praise the Lord. It says, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. And so when we read in Nehemiah about the completion of the wall, this is what we read in verse 27, Nehemiah 12, 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And I'd like to make just a couple of comments about the dedication of the wall in Jerusalem. It's not a church building but it certainly was a major construction project. And I wanted to include it today since we finished studying the book of Nehemiah fairly recently. When they dedicated the wall, Nehemiah commissioned the choir to have a major role in that celebration. He not only invited the Levites and the musicians to have prominent parts, he also appointed two very large choirs. One choir marched on top of the wall around Jerusalem in one direction, the other marched around the wall in the other direction, and they met at the temple. I did some research this week and found out that the wall around Jerusalem is about two and a half miles, or it was about two and a half miles in length. So each choir marched just a little over a mile. The average width of the wall was about eight feet, and the average height of the wall was about 20 feet. And so you couldn't sing in the choir if you had a fear of heights, obviously. <laughs> and at the end of Nehemiah 12, it says this. It says, they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy 
and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Friends, this was a loud party in Jerusalem. And the theme of their party was joy. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. There were many, many singers and many musicians, cymbals, and so on. They held back nothing, and neither should we. When we are about the worship of God, let us not hold back. And we didn't hold back this morning, did we? So I tried to figure out how we could get our choir to march around the top of our new building today. <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, it didn't seem very safe, so we scratched that idea. But choir members, I just want you to know how much we appreciate you. And, and uh, we think your part of this whole process is, is so significant. We thank you so much. We're so glad to have the choir back leading us in worship. We have missed you this past year. Amen? Listen, our churches ought to be known as places of praise. As places where people can lose themselves in the wonder of God and just get caught up in who he is. That pleases God. Well, just as the Lord will bless a praying church, he will also bless a praising church. And here's the third thing I believe God blesses. God blesses his house when it's a house of purpose. When it's a house of purpose. Each of the dedications we read about in the Old Testament have an indication of more than just simply celebrating the completion of something. They also point to the future and to what God intends to do through that project, through that construction. For example, listen to what it says in Ezra 6 when they're rededicating the uh, second temple. This is what was written. Ezra 6, beginning at verse 15. The temple was completed on March 12th during the sixth year of King Darius' reign. And the temple of God was then dedicated with great joy by the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the people who had returned from exile. During the dedication ceremony for the temple of God, 100 young bulls, 200 rams, and 400 male lambs were sacrificed. And 12 male goats were presented as a sin offering for the 12 tribes of Israel. Then the priests and Levites were divided into their various divisions to serve at the temple of God in Jerusalem, as prescribed in the book of Moses. You see, the Lord through Moses had delineated the privileges and the duties of the priests and the Levites. They had jobs to do for the Lord. And when they finished rebuilding the temple in Ezra's day, the people began those jobs. In other words, they didn't just dedicate a building, but they dedicated themselves to fulfill the purpose for which that building was constructed. Some people took up their jobs as gatekeepers, others began their jobs as singers or musicians, and some people took up their jobs offering sacrifices on the altar. And this is all a reminder to us today. While we're here to celebrate the conclusion of this construction project, in reality, the ultimate goal is not just a new building. It is something far greater because we still have a job to do for the Lord. Friend, we have said all along as we talked about this project 
that this building is just a tool to help us do God's work here. To help us transform the lives of people into disciples of Jesus Christ. And when we use that term transform, we're talking about how God changes us into the image of his son. How he matures us into Christ's likeness. How he wants to transform us, our friendships, our marriages, our families. So that in turn, he can transform our community and our world. So transformation is simply another word for discipleship. You see, at the end of the day, this construction project is not primarily about facilities. Facilities are simply a tool, an important tool, yes. But they're here to help us make disciples of Christ. And so I remind us again today, our mission as followers of Jesus Christ is making disciples. Here's how Christ put it in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. If you would, please circle those two words, make disciples, on your sermon notes today. These new facilities are here to expand our capacity to make disciples to the glory of God. We now have more room to gather and more capacity to preach and teach the word of God, more capacity to make disciples, more capacity to reach our community and to send others out into the mission field. And by the way, part of this construction project is not yet done. You've probably noticed many finishing touches that we yet have to complete in some areas. And most important, the part of the project that we uh, long to finish up is the promised land portion of the classroom, which is right below us, which is the cla children's classrooms for our elementary age children. So while we celebrate the completion of this space today, we aren't quite yet done either. We're committed to completing the promised land classrooms as soon as possible and my goal personally is to do so by the end of this next summer so before the kids go back to school next year we want them in that new space but more about that on another day okay finally we all want the Lord to be able to bless our church right and we have a better idea what is needed God's Word says we need to devote ourselves to prayer we need to devote ourselves to praise and we need to recommit ourselves to the purpose for which God has called us. Beloved, let us determine in our hearts that we will strive to be a people, a house, that God can bless. So let me talk about a few things by way of application, some next steps today. The first one is this. I will offer myself as a living sacrifice. You see, we aren't just dedicating a building to the Lord today. We also need to rededicate ourselves to the Lord today. That is the starting place, truly, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, which is how the Apostle Paul describes it in Romans 12. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What does it mean to present ourselves or dedicate ourselves to the Lord? I want to remind you of three specific areas that we need to consider doing that. First is I will offer my time for serving the Lord. I will offer, secondly, my talents for serving the Lord. And then third, I will offer my treasure for serving the Lord. And today, in a large part, we are celebrating the way you have done that as a church family. We're celebrating the generosity of this church to make this project possible. You are such an amazing church family, and we want to say thank you again today for that generosity to the Transform Initiative, but also to the Lord's work here at Lake City Community Church. We thank you for the legacy that you are leaving for generations that are going to follow us as well. You see, our prayer is that as the Lord tarries, and if he continues to tarry, this new facility will be used to reach many more thousands of people and to make disciples of them for many decades to come. With that in view, now I want to invite some people to come up and to help me with a responsive reading as we close. So if Reg and David and Julia would come up on stage here and help me at this time, I'd appreciate it. I felt like the way to conclude our service today is with a responsive reading that includes everybody. So I picked the seven verses or passages of scripture that seem fitting for our day. And each of uh, the four of us is going to read some of them. And then where it says congregation, I want to invite you to nice and loudly read aloud in response. And I'm going to ask you to all stand at this time for our responsive reading. And then you can sit down again afterwards. Let's go ahead and start. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. We dedicate ourselves and this building to the worship and praise of God. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Dedicate ourselves and this building to the preaching of the gospel and to making disciples of all nations. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We dedicate ourselves and this building to the faithful teaching and preaching of God's word. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? We dedicate ourselves and this building to be a house of prayer for the nations. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
We dedicate ourselves and this building to the fellowship of believers and to encouraging one another until the Lord returns. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. We So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. We dedicate ourselves and all we have been entrusted with to faithfully doing the Lord's work until he comes back. Let's pray together. You may be seated first if you like. And then let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this special day that we have anticipated for so long. We're thankful to all who have worked so hard on this project to provide this facility. We're thankful to all who have given so generously to make it possible. And today we dedicate this house to you that it may be used for your glory and for your purposes. May we, your people, grow closer to you here in this place. May many others find you as Savior and grow as disciples here in this place. Please fill this place with your spirit and with your love. And may all who come into this house feel your love and feel welcome. And Father, we love our new house. We love this new facility. But most of all, we want you to know we love you. We are impressed with you most of all. There is no God like you. You are faithful. You are a promise-keeping Father. You are loyal in your love to us. And for that, we rejoice. We give you our thanks today. And then as I close, Father, I want to give this prayer of invitation. Just perhaps there's someone here today that has not yet taken that first step of faith in Christ. And friend, if that's you, I just invite you to pray silently along with me in your heart of hearts and just receive Christ's forgiveness today. Just say something like this. Say, Father, I need your forgiveness. I repent of my sins and I receive the forgiveness Jesus made possible at the cross. I trust him and his death and resurrection to forgive me. And I receive him as Savior and Lord today. Father, we give you our thanks. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.